0: Are
1: you okay with us using our phones to look at documents? Yes, containers? yes. Some, okay.
0: Uh, you could look at your phones, or if you have an iPad or something like that and want to bring it in, that's fine. As opposed to, you know, calling paper around. I'm a paper person, so that's what I do. But yeah, your phone is fine. Thank you for asking, though. I know that you're not. Shopping or something. <laughs> <laughs> like my students used to, uh, uh, yeah. playing solitaire or whatever. Um, so, this was published in 1988. It's by a, that he's actually a Zen Center uh, person, um, San Francisco Zen Center, that is. And he's a scholar at Stanford, Carl Bielefeld. Carl Bielefeld. Um, and it's called Dogen's Manuals, plural of Zen meditation. And um, in this book, he studies in-depth to the point of like, it's almost impenetrable because he is, it's a very deep textual study of the, the history of Fukanzazengi, which we are studying. Hello, Char, Changi, any place you want to sit. Um, and uh, it goes over the evidence for different versions and what their dates are, when Dogen wrote them, what Dogen's purposes were in writing them and how they relate, especially to earlier Chinese models, right? So if you really want to dig deep into that kind of question, this is the book. <laughs> um, and I have cribbed various things from this to talk about uh, with you all. Um, I'm not... I, I can't read Chinese or Japanese. I can look up—I know how to look up kanji, but um, it's it's over my head basically for what and for what we need to do in this class, which is more like a kind of encounter with Dogen, I haven't tried to, you know, hit you over the head with all the scholarship that's in here. But if you're interested, this is the still this is still the fundamental study, even though it's 1988, 40 years old or something. Like it's hard to believe that 1988 was 40 years ago. Um, so yes, Karen,
2: what book are you, are you talking about a book that you referred to in the um,
0: email or is this a different book, a different book? This is a source book basically that I just wanted people to know about in case they're interested in the relationship of Dogen's various writings about his, his, his instructions for Zazen and how they relate to earlier models, which is not something we have time to go into in depth. Here. Okay,
2: is the title
0: written somewhere? Because we can't see Dogen's you're... Manuals of Zen Meditation. Okay, thank you. Yeah,
2: I can. I'll send it out
0: in an email. Right. Since I didn't copy anything for you, I didn't. I didn't put it in the email. Um, and in that uh, in that book, and also, um, in there's there's some articles also that deal with this question of what exactly was the Zengi originally written. You will see frequently that it says, that, and I use the state, that it was written basically the year he got back from China. But there is evidence that that's not actually the case (laughs) and that there are at least three versions of this, right? So you should just be aware that there's some dispute among scholars about how early this text was, but many Chinese Zen masters or Chinese masters of Chan, what we call Chan, Zen, Um, wrote meditation manuals for their students, for their monks. And Dogen's version turns out to be very close to a particular one. And if you're interested, you can read all about which one. It is part of a famous uh, set of monastic regulations written by a particular uh, uh, Chinese master. And there are places where it tracks almost word for word with the Kwanza which doesn't mean Dogen plagiarized because that's not really, you know, it's like a tradition that people are drawing on. It's, there's lots of illusions without footnotes, right? Everybody's supposed to know, but Dogan put his own spin on it. And part of what Dogen's spin was are these introductory and closing paragraphs that, that go beyond just the bare instructions for how to sit zazen. Dogen is interested in why sit zazen? What, what does it accomplish? right? Why are we doing this? So that's his kind of unique contribution. So I just wanted to say that. Um, The other thing is tonight, um, I thought we would look at, uh, we're going to chant it again, but um, I thought we would look at another translation uh, just to get a taste of how things might hit you differently if you read a different translation. So, Kaz Tanahashi, who is now I think ninety years old uh, and a master calligrapher, um, he is he's based in Berkeley, um, and he published in I think twenty ten what was uh, when it was published a two volume uh, version of the the so called Shobo Genzo, which is the collected essays of Dogen, and in some Versions and in Kaza's version, the Fukanza Zengi does not appear. It is not considered to be part of the Shogonzo. In some other versions of the Shogogenzo, it does appear. There are at least three or four different editions of the Shogogenzo that existed after Dogen's time. So more textual difficulties, right? If you, if you're, if you get off on literary stuff, it's like this is like you know, a playground. Um, <clears throat> Still, it was considered a fundamental text. We're studying it because it was treated like a sutra in Zen temples and it's chanted in some places daily, but it's in the regular rotation of things we chant. Right? So whatever its status is part of this collection of essays or not part of the collection of essays, right, still a fundamental text. Kaz, however, even though he didn't include it in this massive, thing. Yeah, he's got it. It's been distilled to one volume, right? This is one of the doorstops. And it's been printed on paper that's so thin, you practically can like see the other side of the page to get it into one volume, right? But Kaz did actually at least two versions in English, and he was collaborating with teachers at the San Francisco Zen Center when he did this. So Kaz was translating with a partner who was a Zen teacher. So Kaz is a Zen teacher in a way, but he's not a priest. He's not a monk. He has a different approach to all of this. And it was a negotiation back and forth between him and whoever he was working with about what the meaning of these characters is, right? So the one that I copied for you, I scanned for you is from this book called Enlightenment Unfolds. That is in the uh, email. And a couple of years, I think later, he published another book called Beyond Thinking, with one of his calligraphies on it. That that um, You guys can't see this. I'll hold it up later. Where I don't want to have to get up off my platform. <laughs> I'm trying to hold it out so you can see it. Um, this is the, this is, he always, when he does calligraphy demonstrations, he always starts with this one because this is the character for one. So this is number one, right? And it's always this big splash of paint. Um, and then that's his signature. Anyway, he translated Fukan Zezeng twice, in other words, with slight differences. And in the Beyond Thinking uh, version, he collaborated with Ed Brown, who some of you know. He's the Tassahara cookbook guy, right? Also a Zen teacher, not just a cookbook guy,
3: right?
0: So, these are some of the resources that are available if you're uh, interested if you go look around the internet you will also find various other translations including you know up to six compared one after the other and I decided not to overwhelm you with five or six translations and <clears throat> sort of stay within our lineage. So why don't we begin um, with the uh, translation that we actually have in our chant books. Does anybody have this, have a copy of it, or need a copy of it? Let's pass out the chant books.
3: <clears throat>
0: I hope all of you at home uh, have access to this. It's it's actually, I think it's on the uh, website of the of AZC, or you can Google it. If you don't have the copy that I sent you at the beginning there's more books. I'm not sure what page it's on, but it's in the table of contents you can look it up.: Yeah,
2: on the um, website it's if you go to the online Sendo, you can find uh, um, print the chance out and it's in there. It's in there. okay, thank you.
0: It's also in the first email I sent everyone, but you may not be able to find that easily. Okay. Oh, great. So, so, Fukan Zazengi of Ahei Dogen. The way is basically perfect and all pervading. How can it be
4: contingent upon practice and realization? The Dharma vehicle is free and untrammeled. What need is there for concentrated effort? Indeed, the whole body is far beyond the world's dust. Who could believe in the means to brush it clean? It is never apart from one, right where one is. What is the use of going off here and there to practice? And yet, if
1: there is the slightest
4: discrepancy, the way is as distant as heaven for
1: earth. If the least
4: slight or dislike arises, the mind is lost in confusion. Suppose one gains pride of understanding and inflates one's own enlightenment, glimpsing the wisdom that runs through all things, attaining the way and clarifying the mind, raising an aspiration to escalate the very side. One is making the initial partial excursions about the frontiers, but still somewhat deficient in the vital way of total emancipation. Need I mention the Buddha, who was possessed of inborn knowledge, the influence of his six years of upright sitting is noticeable still. For what the transmission of the mind seal, the fame of his nine years of wall sitting is celebrated to this day. Since this was the case with the saints of old, how can we today dispense with negotiation of labor? You should therefore cease from practice based on intellectual understanding, pursuing words and following after speech, and learn the backward step that turns your life inwardly to illuminate yourself. Body and mind and themselves will drop away, and your original face will be manifest. If you want to attain suchness, you should practice suchness without delay. For some time, a quiet room is suitable. Eat and drink moderately. Cast aside all involvements and cease all affairs. Do not think good or bad. Do not administer pros and cons. Cease all the movements of the conscious mind The dating of all thoughts and views. Have no designs on becoming a Buddha. Satsang has nothing whatever to do with sitting or lying down. At the site of your regular sitting, spread out a thick and place a cushion above it. Sit either in the full lotus or half lotus position. In the full lotus position, you first place your right foot on your left thigh and your left foot on your right thigh. In the half lotus, you simply press your left foot against your right thigh. You should have your robes and bells loosely bound and arranged in order. Then place your right hand on your left leg and your left palm facing upward on your right palm. thumb tips section. Thus sit upright in correct bodily posture, neither inclining to the left nor to the right, neither leaning forward nor backward. Be sure your ears
3: are on the plane with your shoulders and your nose to climb with your ankle.
4: Place your tongue against the front roof of your mouth with teeth and lips both shut. Your eyes should always remain open and you should breathe gently through your nose. Once you have adjusted your posture, take a deep breath, inhale and exhale. Rock your body right and left and settle into a steady, immovable sitting position. Think of not thinking. How do you think of not thinking, not thinking? This in itself is the essential art of zazen. The zazen I speak of is not learning meditation. It is simply the, the dharma gate of proposed and bliss, a practice realization of totally culminated enlightenment. It is the manifestation of ultimate reality. Traps and snares can never reach it. Once its heart is grasped, you are like a dragon gaining the water. water. Like a tiger taking to the mountains. For you must know that just there, in Zazen, the right of Dharma is manifesting itself, and that from the first dullness and distraction are struck aside. When you arise from sitting, move slowly and quietly, calmly and deliberately. Do not rise suddenly or abruptly. In surveying the past, we find the transcendence of both unenlightenment and enlightenment, and dying while either sitting or standing have all depended entirely on the strength of Zazen. In addition, the bringing about of enlightenment by the opportunity provided by a finger, a banner, a needle, or a mallet, and the effecting of realization with the aid of a hostu this, a staff, or a shout cannot be fully understood by discriminative thinking. Indeed, it cannot be fully known by the practicing or realizing of supernatural powers neither. It must be important beyond hearing and seeing. It is not a principle that is prior to knowledge and perceptions. If this being the case, intelligence or lack of it does not matter. Between the dull and the sharp-witted, there is no distinction. If you concentrate your efforts single-mindedly, that in itself is negotiating the way. Practice realization is naturally undefiled. Going forward in practice is a matter of everydayness. In general, this world and other worlds as well, both in India and China, they equally hold the Buddha's seal and over all prevails the character of this school, which is simply devotion to sitting, totally engagement in a movable sitting. Although it is said that there are as many minds as there are persons, still they all negotiate the way solely in Zazen. Why leave behind the seat that exists in your home and go aimlessly off to the dusty realms of other lands? If you make one misstep, you go astray from the way directly before you. You have gained the pivotal opportunity of human form. Do not use your time in vain. You You are are maintaining the essential working of the good way. Who would take wasteful delight in the spark from the flintstone? Besides, form and substance are like the dew on the grass, the destiny like the dart of lightning. Empty in an instant, vanished in a flash. Please, honored followers of Zen, long accustomed to groping for the elephant, do not be suspicious of the true dragon. Devote your energies to a way that directly indicates the absolute. Revere the person of complete attainment who is beyond all human agency. Gain accord with the enlightenment of the Lupus. Succeed to the legitimate lineage of the ancestors, Samadhi. constantly perform in such a manner and you are assured of being a person such as they. Your treasure store will open up itself and you will use it at
0: will. Yeah, so, all of that, especially that last uh, paragraph or two after the description of Zazen, um, is very much dogan. Although the Chinese uh, kind of model does talk about the carved dragon, so these stories are shared. And the Chinese model that this, that seems to be following is was written about 100 years before he lived, so close in time, relatively close in time. And I remind you, he spent uh, several years in China, traveling around trying to find a true teacher, and encountered, you know, many teachers and many uh, temples, obviously he well, was there. So, um, if we turn to Oz's translation, um, which he uh, he translates the title as Recommending Zazen to All People. And sometimes it's translated as uh, the universal recommendation of zazen or the universal recommendation of zazen for everyone right? which is a little bit radical as I said the first time because it's, it was not meant just for monks right just for monastics so anybody want to take anything out from from that translation or we can go through it you know kind of uh, uh, do a comparison as we go and if you're online, feel free to uh, you might rather than use the raised hand feature, just sort of speak up and get my attention. So this is the tanahashi. Um, I think I, I think I put tanahashi in there.
4: I did have a question on the paragraph on page twenty one uh, for both translations.
0: Okay. Uh, so okay, read it and we'll find it.
4: So for you for you must know that they're just uh, that just there in zazen, the right Dharma is manifesting itself and that from the first dullness and distraction from Yeah. So does this mean the practice of Zazen will strike away distractions, or mm-hmm. they, or does the culmination of suchness
0: get rid of the distractions of the byproduct? Everybody wants to get rid of stuff. <laughs> get rid of these distractions. They're really a problem.
3: Um,
0: so can you find where it is? Can anyone find that, that very uh, same passage in Tanahashi just so we can see if he has anything? Uh, it changes our you know our kind of perception of the of this does uh, it know that the true dharma emerges of itself clearing away hindrances and distractions yeah that would be it so say it again know that the true dharma emerges of itself clearing away hindrances and distractions and distractions mm-hmm. yeah so what do people think what is he trying to say let's crowdsource it <laughs> yeah.
5: Reminds me of, um, I can't remember exactly the conversation, but it kind of reminds me of like this kind of like, uh, I think like setting, like you can't really bring it about by your own powers, but you can kind of like set the stage for it to
3: kind of like yeah. let it you know, kind good. of get out of
0: your own way kind of idea. Of so not, not, not actually fabricating something or making something happen. Well, holding intention
5: and then letting something manifest
0: of itself. So so it goes along with all in that view, it kind of goes along with all those instructions about um, not grasping, not clinging, not doing anything. <laughs> right? We're not really doing it. We're not trying to make something. We're trying to undo actually undo the doing that we're usually doing. I should put that on a pillow or something. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody online, any uh, thoughts or comments?
5: So if someone tells me, don't think of an elephant, all I think of is an elephant, <laughs> basically it's kind of resonates uh, with me. Yeah. So okay. if I'm thinking of, uh, don't be distracted, don't be distracted, it's like I'm just distracting.
0: myself. Mm. what's happening? Yeah, I'd try I th- I, My recommendation would be don't do don't either. And right, so we're not doing, but we're also not don'ting. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we're non- yeah. donkey
3: we
6: do <laughs> um, yeah, the pillows are massing. the <laughs> needle. In this translation, we'll get this, but I think it's about trust, trusting whatever's arising is that too. like can look at the sun. Um, For you must know that just there in zazen, the right dharma is manifesting itself.
0: Yeah, so this is also, I think, pointing to another really important teaching, fundamental teaching of Dogen, which is practice and enlightenment are not separate. They're the same thing. So if you're sitting zazen, you're you're sitting enlightenment. The enlightenment that's already there is manifesting. So there's nothing you really need to do, right? To bring it, you just need to fully sit. And dullness and distraction, these are like, you know, considered hindr- hindrances. Like, you know, you're just it's like, oh my There's the bell, the one fell asleep, I know it. <laughs> you Where's know, my coffee? Uh, but if you're really putting your entire being into Zazen, it's a dynamic stillness, right? It's not just blankness or, you know, parking your body and dealing with your mind and dealing with your knees and you know trying to let go it's like there's a dy- there's a dynamism to it you're, you're fully expressing yourself in this sitting position which is really hard to do for us i think in the west especially we express ourselves through a- through activity what we think of as activity right that that's creative like you know we're artists it's painting if it's if we're musicians it's making music if, it, if we're scholars it's writing that's how we express our uniqueness. It's sort of like the romantic you know, notion of creativity. That's what makes you you. But that's not what Dogama is saying. Dogan is saying you're fully manifesting yourself sitting. And the Buddha you are is fully manifesting sitting. And if you're doing that, where's dullness and distraction?
3: there's another analogy that kind of comes to
5: mind. I can't remember who said it either <laughs> just kind of mix up all the conversations. But um it's kind of like I think the analogy was drawn to like sleeping how like you can't like just like make yourself go to sleep, like set a switch, but you can like drink sleepy tea and like dim the lights and like kind of get cozy and then like some other part of your autonomous kind of nervous system like settles down and you kind of fit into sleep or something. I don't know if that's helpful or not.
0: Well, I think that's part of what all these instructions are about, right, you know, for Sazen, a quiet room is suitable eat and drink moderately, it's like, you know, some of the sleep hygiene instructions we hear about, don't eat in bed, don't watch TV, don't leave your phone, you know, somewhere where you can't reach it. Make that, make that place the place where you sleep and don't do other things. Maybe what well, maybe, maybe do maybe do a few other things. Basically, it's a place where you're not, you know, it's not your dining room. It's not your and so having a place that you go to, even if you sit at home, you know, even if it's a corner, having a place that's clean and set up and has cushions or you can set up quickly and make it into your own little Zendo is kind of recommended home practice instruction. So that you are setting the stage or Lighting a stick of incense, you know, lighting a candle sets an intention, but it also makes it more likely that you're going to settle into a steady, immovable sitting position.
5: Yeah. Sometimes for me too, like the experience of dullness or boredom is, uh, like, actually, it can get quite intense being so bored that, <laughs> that you're, you're, you do anything but sit here, and it's
3: really I feel that dullness is quite something. Maybe. It's not exactly pleasant, but I wouldn't call it dull.
0: <laughs> yeah, it could be pretty entertaining to be bored. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> it's, yeah. There's a I
5: think there's, it's, all its own way. I don't know if that's talking about, it, but.
0: I don't think it's what he, I don't think he's not talking about that right. either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everything that can happen in the human mind will come up during Zaza, And The important thing is not to attach to any of it, good or bad. Right? right. Oh, here's dullness and boredom again. You know, and then just resume sitting. <laughs> oh, volunteer, <love> sorry.
1: <laughs> yeah, just because this dullness and boredom is arising, or because I'm not non-thinking, doesn't mean we're not doing Zaza.
0: Yeah, zazen, it's still zazen. It's still zazen. Unless you're like making laundry lists and you know, and planning your shopping, or, you're really thinking. I mean, if you're sitting there and indulging thoughts, you know, um, then you're probably not doing zazen. You're thinking. Right. But even just making the effort to sit there and noticing is coming back all the time. Noticing, oh, I'm actually thinking here, is a moment of zazen. It's noticing that what you're doing being conscious extending your awareness into an awareness of everything that's happening including what's going on between your ears and then you kind of check in with your body where are, where are my hands am, am I slumped over am I actually sleeping <laughs> you know <laughs> sitting here mm-hmm. and constantly returning as the instruction to the practice yeah.
1: I'm curious I'm sure I learned this somewhere but I'm curious if this is you know, not to shit on myself, but if this is what I should be doing, um, whenever I have thoughts coming up, sometimes, you know, more than other times, I just, I just say thought, I just say thought, oh, thought, and I go back to one. Is that the correct way to handle that?
0: It's a way, you know, that's a kind of, yeah, like, so if you're, so you're counting, sounds like you're counting.
1: Yeah. Like, especially if I have like a particularly difficult sit, you know, where I'm just, it's like, wow, if somebody were in my head right now, they would not think I'm meditating. Then yes. One of those kind of times.
0: So these are, these are techniques, you know, they're kind of things that we do to encourage ourselves, right. To stay with it. You, when you lose the count, you, that's another way of noticing, mm-hmm. right? I've said three now a bunch of times, or I'm on 13, mm-hmm. <laughs> or I don't know where I am. <laughs> no idea what number this should be. So you go back to one. Mm-hmm. And if you see a thought, the problem with labeling is that it makes it into a thing.
1: That's which is yeah.
0: And, but it is a practice. It is a practice. It is a practice to say, to say thought,
1: you know. Well, when the window is open, which it hasn't recently, I just imagine it goes out the window and I go back to one. That might be too much thinking happening there. <laughs>
0: I, uh, I realized at a certain point when I was um, not not new to practice anymore that when I would do Kenyan, you know, the slow walking meditation, my mind was singing a little song. <laughs> there was this little melody that it was just, you know, No, <laughs> it, it was just this little thing just to kind of occupy myself while I took a, while I took a breath. I mean it's like there wasn't enough going on, you know, I'm taking a breath, I'm taking a half step, I'm trying not to crash on the person ahead of me. There's this like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but I was it was unconscious until one day I was like What's that, doing? <laughs> What's that sound? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this is these are all the things that our minds do, and bringing them into consciousness is part of the practice, right? It's not like trying. And the more you try to get rid of them, the more power they have. Right. The more power they have.
4: So Logan um, hadn't said this
0: because oh, he was talking about zazen,
4: but you can also apply this outside
0: your cushion, right? So when you're yeah. getting groceries and thoughts come up, you simply just allow let go. Yeah. Although you might forget <clears> to. <throat> something important on your list, right? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, at any time, you can just be completely present with what you're doing. In this case, you're doing something, right? You're shopping. So you have to walk up and down the aisles, you know, have a basket or a cart, if you are going grocery shopping and you pick things off the shelf. But you can be very single-minded and focused on just that, right, rather than, you know, having your earbuds in and talking on the phone and, you know, who knows what else, you know, you're doing um so yeah you can be especially when you're handling objects right one instruction is which we sometimes say in, during like zazen instruction or during uh orientation to the forms in the zendo hold things with two hands and even things that you can hold with one hand like you know, this piece of paper doesn't really need two hands but it changes your relationship with a, a thing it makes it less a thing and more part of you you're actually enlivening this thing with your attention, and to, and this is also very Japanese. Like if you go to Japan, when you hand over your credit card, you do it with two hands. That's considered respectful, but also your it's because it's your full attention up to that transaction. You know, credit cards like this, right? But this expresses respect and presence. So if you're grocery shopping, you know, take things out with two hands. Try it. People might think you're weird, but it's you know. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to pick up an apple with your hands. Maybe you take you know your cereal box off the shelf and put it in your basket with your hands. Just try things like that to just keep your keep yourself right where you are, doing what you're doing. Doing what you're doing. I keep I, you guys can't see me, but I'm looking at you. So feel free to wave or yell if you. Uh, you online folks. Okay, so that was one question. Anything? Uh, yeah. Um,
5: at the end of the, uh, I don't have the uh, second translation mm-hmm. with me, but um, there's a passage that resonated today that I glazed over last time, um, and okay. uh, it's uh, revered a person of complete attainment who is beyond all. Human agency, it's like the end. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. And yeah, this idea of no human agency.
5: Mm. <laughs> it's kind of radical and interesting and at the heart of the matter, I think. But yeah, yeah I don't know how to, I'm curious what people think. In the other translation says, revere the mind that goes beyond study and surpasses all doing.
0: Oh. it's quite different it is when you think of agency as um you know our capacity to do to be to be effective and to, to affect our surroundings to affect the world Right to have no agency is to be disempowered right yeah. so that's i mean that's in our usual way of thinking of that word in english um but i think it means something more um, so let's see. What does what does say? I'm trying to find this passage.
5: And, and like to clarifying, I, I was kind of moved by that. Not like resist.
6: I wasn't mad. Yeah.
0: Well, it is. You know, it's like what would a, what would a human being who's <laughs> beyond human agency be? As the would, would they be a, a divinity? You know, would they be inhuman? Would they be something beyond human or superhuman? But he also then also cautions us not to be looking for like supernatural powers. He says that, right? So it's it's maybe, you know, a fully human person.
2: Charo. Yeah.
0: What about Buddha yeah. nature? Buddha nature. Oh God. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I'm just thinking that because we're, I'm reading in another class um, of a uh, Kazan's, and he even like calls it like, the old guy when they were, we were trying to figure out how to translate it like the old fellow, the old buddy,
0: the, the person beyond all human agency,
2: yeah, like beyond that has no eyes and ears and and no mouth and no it's not only without speech but without mouth and with um and it, it was a way to to talk about Buddha nature,
0: hmm. I, just a thought, I don't know. <laughs> I'm supposed to be in that class, but I don't have the time, so I'm. I know. Kason, by the way, is uh, along with Dogen one of the considered one of the two founders of Soto Zen in Japan. He is there he's the the other founder? He so he founded Sujiji. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's important. We don't study him as much as we study Dogen, but we should. So that's an interesting. So this is the this is the Buddha nature is a way of saying you know the unconditioned the absolute. The face before your parents were born, your original face, right? All of these uh, expressions that point to something beyond the particular, the particularities of our personalities and our karma. That's one. Beyond way.
2: enlightenment and enlightenment beyond.
0: Beyond categories, right? Maybe it would be like beyond categories, beyond measurements, beyond judgments, you know, good or bad. Um, yeah. But that's so, a whole thing, so yeah. That's a whole thing, but also it's like the the person, that person is you, yeah. right? It's not, that's not somebody else. Yeah. That person's any of us when we're really doing zazen, we are the person beyond, human. you know, in this translation, beyond human agency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. we We resume our original face. Yeah, so it's not something like, I want that because you know that sounds really cool <laughs> Like beyond you know conditions, but we it's already us.
2: Right, it's right here in
0: conditions. Yeah, right here in conditions. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right
6: in and then yeah. okay. I saw this. I think I think Matt, you said the translation was something like beyond doing, mm-hmm.
0: uh,
4: beyond study. Or wait, where did it say? Uh, the mind that goes beyond study and surpasses all doing.
6: Yeah, surpasses all doing. So I think like agency, it's got. Not being separate from the activity of zazen, like agency is like I do this thing, right? But if you're sitting zazen and you're not seeing, um, you're letting zazen sit you, right? <laughs> or, or you're you're uh, you're completely merged with the activity of sitting. You're not thinking anymore about I'm the one who's doing this.
0: There's a famous story about the founder of this temple. Uh, some of you might know it, uh, Blanche Hartman. Or Shumbo Zenki, as we, as we uh, refer to her in our chants. She was a student of Suzuki Roshi's. And um, one day she had some experience in Zazen that she thought was, you know, like worth talking about. So she went in, was all excited and said, I, you know, sort of a lot of I statements, you know, I was, this happened to me, I was doing Zazen. And he, for the first time, he got angry. He expressed himself with a certain forcefulness. He's always been very kind. And he said, it is a big mistake to think that you do zazen, right? That There's some you that's doing zazen. He so says, zazen does zazen. And she was really taken aback, yeah. but, <laughs> but he made his point. Um, and I think Katagiri says something like it's the self settling the self on the self, right? this kind of complete identi- ident- identity of the small self that we, that is us, the individual. And the big self, which is the Buddha nature, right those things coinciding exactly. Right. so yeah, it, and it, and it relieves us of you know all of our worries, like, am I doing it right? You're not doing it at all. <laughs> right It's like when you breathe, there's a certain you can hold your breath. Right, we all know how to do that, but it's sort of breathing breathes itself. the universe breathes you. You, your heart beats you can't I, know, I knew somebody who could actually slow down and even stop his heart and assume that it was the most terrifying thing I ever was uh, a grad student in my one of my programs and he could actually do that um but that's normally an autonomous function right if your heart stops you die so we're not it's it's the universe isn't living through us we are not totally you know Anything yeah. and Zazen is an alternate expression of that kind of phenomenon.
3: I was reading the translation of the heart
5: sutra that is only one that I found that if everyone is like, no eyes, no ears, one of them is no will.
3: No will, mm. yeah. I wonder if that's no cognition or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> To the <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I'll
1: try oh, to see if it <laughs> matters anymore after all of that. Um, or if I can remember it. I think I was thinking um what came to my mind was I don't know how or if this really relates to what we were originally talking about, but it's like being present in the moment of doing is a lot easier because we're using our senses. It, this is me just talking, you know, that we're using our senses, we feel the air, we touch the cereal box with both hands, you know what I mean? And to me, like being present in Zazen is without, the, you know, it's really without the senses in a way because we're sitting in complete stillness. And I think maybe there's something to that and that's why you know this whole thing is here.
0: <laughs> we are We are not sitting completely without our senses in the sense that um, you you can feel your body on the ground. Mm-hmm. You can feel your body breathing. You can sense where your hands are. You can sense if you're aligned or not. But, you know, this, this proprioception you know, if you really kind of check in with the details. Mm-hmm. Like I'm leaning this way or I'm holding something or, I, you know, I'm clenching my shoulders or my head is forward. You know, you, so this is constant adjustment, which is definitely using your senses. And, and we also, we don't shut out sound. We don't, yeah, we don't shut out anything, but we don't shut out sound, which is a great way of staying present actually. I just like let sound come and go and don't be disturbed by it
1: but i'm wondering if that is like our the closest we can kind of get to being without human agency mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. by taking an action I and mean, you know we take the action to sit well yeah we
0: take we have the intention and we sit and then whatever, we are we are simply present with whatever arises right? and we are so we're not contriving or explaining towards like this is what happens all the time. Right. This happens to me with sound, especially if it's, a, if it's a living thing. Like if there's a dog barking or a kid yelling, or something like, what's going on? Why is that dog barking? Yeah. What kind of dog is that? Yeah. is that? Is it that the neighbor's dog? Is it that dog across the street? You know, <laughs> did Jewel get out? Yeah. <laughs> it's her dog. You know, so we start telling stories. Right? So the non-fabricating part is not jumping on the train of thought. Don't, uh, Suzuki Roshi said, "It's fine to have thoughts, just don't invite them in for tea." Right? You know, <laughs> one lump or two. Would you like a cookie? <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's the fabricating part. It's not like sh- turning yourself into a mummy, right, where you're all wrapped up in bandages and you're beyond agency because you're dead. I, you're not dead, you're not dead. Um, the other thing is, um, I was just thinking of, oh, in the Chinese version of this from 100 years before Dogen, you know, that has some similarities to Fukanza Zengi, the Chinese master gets really exercised about people who don't keep their eyes open a little bit. And he said, you're a demon sitting in a dark cave. if you you close your eyes. (laughs) And so, you know, why? Because you are shutting out light. You're shutting out that little bit of stimulus that helps to keep you present, right? He's not saying look around, open your eyes wide, see what's going on, but just, you know, let some light in to to that faculty, right? If we were just shutting ourselves off, we'd stick cotton in our ears, we'd close our, you know, we would... Put a mask on, which we do anyway, right? And we would just become, you know, dumb, deaf, dumb, and blind. Um, okay, any other thoughts? Yeah. Right. <laughs> I think, especially
5: like thinking about all three of the translations, like the very first one is very interesting to me. Um, so this one it's a way is basically perfect and all pervading. Yeah. And then in the first one, it's pretty similar to that. Says the way that, that is originally perfect, instead of basically perfect. Yeah. And all perfect.
3: Mm-hmm. which to me,
5: those two words, "perfect" originally and "basically," are pretty different.
3: And then um, uh, "cards" just completely doesn't. Acknowledge that first first
5: part. It says the real the real way circulates everywhere. Yeah. And so I thought I just thought like those three to describe the way. Like it's just interesting because it makes me think about how uh, text in the first place is like a poor. Um, it's impossible to like describe this thing, you know, to describe the way, and especially because we have three different people translating one text and you know this seemingly simple line has pretty different meanings, at least for me. Um, Like, you know, like basically could mean like, the way is in its most basic sense, perfect, but it could also be like, it's almost perfect, you know, just these like small, distinctions and it can mean all those things or it
0: can mean none of those things or you know, just depending on how you're reading it in the moment. Uh, in his other translation causes other translation that's in this Beyond Thinking you know, collection, he, he's changed it again. He says, the essential way flows everywhere. How could it, uh, how could it require practice or enlightenment? Yeah, like that, I mean that this that seems almost completely different, like almost a different sentence, you know. Yeah. So it's just, I think. So I think the all-pervading is a is a kind of captures what they're all looking yeah. at, right? yeah. It's everywhere, yeah. it's in everything, it's, you know, right. So there's that sense. And perfect. Perfect is like the other word, the other word or phrase that trips us up a lot is when you hear about something that's defiled, right? And it sounds like, oh, dirty you know, nasty, like uh, defilement. But it means that it's dualistic, right? It is separating self and other. That's what defilement means, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So that's one thing that people get hung up on all the time. It sounds like it's sinful or bad, you know? But it just means there's separation. You're separating into subject and object. And I think perfect is another one, right? Perfect, we hear about, like, Buddha is the perfect teacher the dharma is the perfect teaching, Sangha is the perfect life. That's part of our the vows that we take sometimes. But when you think of something as being perfected, you know, it has reached its, how to put this, um, it's not perfect as a judgment, right? It's complete. It's, it's become, com- it's complete. And there's nothing to add or take away from it, right? But when we hear perfect, we go, who is the perfect teacher, really? you know that sounds kind of conceited or stuck up or a big claim to make. But perfect as complete, there's nothing you know that you need beyond Dharma. That's a kind of different spin. So our our English words have a lot of baggage. And so did the Chinese characters, and that's part of the original Chinese characters. So I think it's part of the, the issue for translators and teachers working together to try to figure out what is the English word that's going to convey this, mm-hmm. right? And you know, they don't always hit the mark for all of us. Put it that way. So what I do when I'm looking at different translations is try to find the thing that maybe all of the variations have in common, you know. And for me, in this one, it's all pervading or it's everywhere. It flows. It doesn't have any hindrances.
1: Right. There's no place it doesn't
0: reach. Yeah. No.
2: Charles? Yes. yes. Karen. Yeah, I, I, I was just thinking that, you know, I, looking at this recently, having studied some other Dogen stuff, has been interesting because, I I think when when he wrote this, this was the whole his whole question about why he went to China. You know, he was this young man and he'd studied. these different teachers in japan and they were teaching that this what it says in that first paragraph that everything's perfect you know you kind of don't have to do anything and that was that was the teaching in, in one of the schools there and um he so his question was why why should you practice right and that's why he went to china and he spent several years there figuring that out and um and then this was one kind of way of talking about his answer. So that's how I think about that first paragraph was, that was like the question he started with.
0: What do you think? Uh, that uh, yes, sense? and I think that's one reason why people revere this text, because he, that was his big question. If every, he, he kind of restated Buddha nature as it, it, it was originally, you know, one formulation was everyone or everything has Buddha nature, and he restated to me, everything is every all beings are Buddha nature, right? Which is an, another right twist. And he loves to twist mm-hmm. language. He takes it, turns it upside down, inside out, he negates it, he negates it again, right? He's just t- totally trying to destabilize, you know, anything that we can hold on to. But all beings are Buddha nature is where he landed later. But in the meantime, yeah, like if everything is perfect, if we're already Buddha, why do we have to practice? Exactly. Uh, that, was his big, that was one of his big questions. And, one of the, and another of his answers is practice and realization are not separate, right? To realize Buddha is to practice and to practice is to realize Buddhahood.
2: Right. And then that second paragraph is the beginning of answering.
0: Yeah, if you miss the mark even by a strand of hair, says Kaz Tanahashi, right, which is echoed in a lot of other teachings as well, yeah. you know, just if you have, not just by Dogen, but by other Chinese uh, ancestors, um, you know, the, the Shinshin Ming says, the way is, what is it, um, the, the great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences, that's its first line, right. <laughs> what text is that? It's called the Xin Xin Ming, or sometimes it's called Trust in Mind or Faith in Mind. It's by an earlier ancestor, Chinese ancestor. We'll we'll chant it one morning soon. <laughs> it's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. So that's a good point, Karen. And um, yeah, that was his big question. And it took him many tries in China also to find someone. And one of the things he says about his master in China, Ryucheng is, He is the first Buddha since the Tang Dynasty, the first teacher since the Tang Dynasty to really understand Zazen. That's what he says. So this was, he was very anxious to bring this teaching of Zazen to Japan. That was, that's what part of why he was on fire to come home.
1: This might be a silly question, but I'm wondering, was Buddhism, did Buddhism originate when like during an oral tradition? Or were there was there always written language when Buddhism existed?
0: There was there, there was written language when Buddhism existed, but it's but not everyone was literate.
1: Right.
0: Um, okay. And the, the the tradition says that it was an or that it was transmitted orally. So when if you read the suttas, the original Pali suttas, they often begin with thus have I heard. Right. And that's Ananda, his who's his cousin, but also his attendant. Mm-hmm. And one of his eventual successors, um, it, he, he didn't have an easy time getting it, but he finally did. Um, but um, he is remembering. Yeah. He's remembering and, you know, declaiming all of these suttas, which were eventually written down.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It reminds me of Greek philosophy, which started oral and became written. Yeah. We got yeah. a lot of the same nuances and like, evolution kind of being and one reason why there's so much repetition in
0: the suttas is it helps you to remember. It's one reason why Buddhism likes lists as well, right And a lot of oral cultures do things that you can just big huge chunks of things that you can recite, right And um, yeah
6: you want to say something? yeah, I read some scholarship. I think it was about
0: two hundred years or so after the Buddha's
6: death, just a Buddha's death that his disciples got together and started transcribing the teachings okay. and
0: then orally passed down. Close There's to almost us. always a gap between the life of a teacher or a poet or a sage mm-hmm. where it's being transmitted within a community. And then people get together and say, let's get this you know, in writing. And then they start arguing <laughs> right, right away. <laughs> right.
5: They start arguing, yeah. I have a question. I see this phrase, away, used a lot. Throughout
0: this, what's the phrase? Uh,
5: the way. The
0: way. Uh-huh.
5: Was do you think this was something that was like picked up in China? Like yes. The, so is that like the Dao? It's the Dao. Okay. Yeah. It's the Dao. So it's so it, it refers kind of to practice, but also to something kind of kind of
0: yes. Okay,
4: well that's why it flows everywhere right because
0: sometimes it's it is also described as a road like you know the road of practice but it's much bigger than that and it doesn't really have any direction and it's you know yeah um yeah there's actually a relatively new book out um called China Root by uh is Bunkai still there Bunkai who wrote the China Root are you there
3: David Hinton
0: thank you David Hinton I was Mm going to say Lex Hinton I knew that was wrong David Hinton, who is a Chinese scholar, who's translated a lot of poetry and is a kind of rabid Sinophile. And he just, he thinks the Chinese culture is better than anything ever anywhere at any time. Um, but he knows his stuff and he has written this book that basically uh, proposes that, that Zen is really Taoism. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's really Taoism. And, and it doesn't have much to do with India at all. It's like all China. Right. So I think it's a little polemical for my taste, but he, but he does go back to, you know, some very fundamental concepts from Taoism. And he tends to translate, uh, like he translates teachers' names, like, he'll like, you know, he'll say, uh, you know, yellow springs, deep mountain, you know, instead of like Giving them giving the Chinese or the Japanese pronunciation of the Chinese name, and he just he's very familiar with this world of sages, it's an interesting book. Um, um, I, I can I,
2: I? I'm sorry, I'm talking too much. Can I say one more thing? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I have that book, and I uh, um, it, he is very interesting, but he manages to completely ignore all of the interaction that Chinese. Zen Buddhists had with the sutras um you know going going back to India
0: completely. Yeah, I mean, no, go that way.
2: That's
3: and, why and, I say
0: it's polemical. It's you know, it's like kind of has one point that it's trying to make and it, and he's actually the part that I don't like I don't like it when people are rude and print other people mm-hmm. so he actually really takes to test other translators mm-hmm. and how wrong they are and how they misunderstood everything and yeah, yeah. So he, like he
2: never mentions like a single Sutra and there were at least like 13 or 14 that Chinese Zen Buddhists were you know reading from India and other you know, places from the beginning, and we're translating and using, and he never even mentions them. So I think it's a great book to read, but you should really take it with a grain of salt.
0: Yeah, I think, (laughs) I hope I was making that clear. Mm -hmm. It means, you know, Mm -hmm. like he's on the warpath, and he's got a, you know, he's got a fixed idea. But it's interesting, if you know anything, if you're interested in Taoism, you might want to look at it. It
5: just sort of seems like um, there's a lot of kind of Daoist thought that weaves in and out of, especially a lot of the the texts that we have in it. Uh, It seems like something that's kind of like under the hood, you know, it's like Buddhism, but it's also kind of like, you know, not super, at least in my experience, super talked about, I guess, the influence of.
0: Well, and a lot of people who were practicing were high-born, you know, very highly educated government ministers, you know, they were, it wasn't just all these nameless monks that we, you know, keep hearing about. And Dogen himself you know, was, uh, came from nobility and knew Chinese and was composing Chinese poetry when he was a tyke. You know? um, so when he went to China, he had no problem fitting into that world and, and understanding, he already had a lot of background and he already could understand the language and all the texts. And I think one reason why you know, he had the success he did was he kind of knew what he was looking for and he could navigate without difficulty. And then he wanted to bring it and make it Japanese, but it was very respectful of what he got in China. I'm just um, aware of the time. So um, you know, for we have another session where we can finish up with the Fukan So we don't have to end tonight, but I just wanted to make sure we kind of got to other questions. Uh also the the um, lecture that my first teacher, uh Josho Pat Phelan. Um, uh has on uh, the travel hills Zen Center website. It's one of six all on the Fukanza zengi So um, she's updated them relatively recently, and uh, I think they're damn good. I would okay. say so myself. <laughs> so she talks about think not thinking.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and one thing that I wanted to get to also before we finish with Fukanza zengi is is um, uh, that and the I promised that we would also tackle thusness or suchness. And if you heard the talk on Saturday by uh, the Reverend Tim Tim sure he, he talked about that. that the all serendipity, there were a couple of things where he started talking about it. And I said, well, I hope so and so is listening because <laughs> this is for them. We were we were talking about you know Tozon and his enlightenment poem, or you know, that just he happened to touch on that particular uh, concept, so it's an interesting. I didn't, I did not set it up so that he was talking about something <laughs> that would have to do with what we were studying. Um, anyway, anything else either in uh, show's essay or <coughs> translations? Do you like Kaz's translation, or, or any aspects of it, or do you kind of stuck already on Abe, <coughs> and Abe? You can get attached pretty quickly to the one thing that you know you're kind of sinking in. I felt like his translation
5: was much more approachable, like it was just simplified in a way that at, at least for me. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I really liked his but at the same time, I, I was glad I read the other one first and was more confused and had to reread things quite a bit. And then with the second one, it almost like added more to the original one that I or you know, the first one that I read. The, um, the, the change from the Dharma vehicle is free and untrammeled to the uh, entire mirror is free of dust. Is that a reference
0: to the, um, the poem uh the six patriarchs? Six patriarch, yeah, it is. And I think Joshua might have, might might, have, might say that. But yeah, so the Dharma vehicle, what a what a word. Who chose that word? Free and untrammeled. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a great use of untrammeled, but it's not typical. <laughs> you know, easy to Um Yeah. So this is a famous story. Um, uh the sixth ancestor in China um who uh uh is an illiterate <laughs> who comes you know to walks many many miles to come and study at this particular monastery and um is put to work pounding rice because he's illiterate <laughs> and uh there comes a point where the uh abbot of the monastery is going to choose a successor and so he he invites uh, he invites um, monks to like express their understanding and the head monk the shuso, who is usually you know like going to be a successor right? it's a person who's going to be transmitted going to get the dharma and inherit a temple write some poem on the wall and the, sixth answer, the person who will be the successor ancestor can't read it because he's illiterate so he gets somebody to, to to read it to him and then he one-ups the (laughs) the shiso right and the shiso you know the was like you know there's a tree and there's a mirror you know always strive to keep the mirror free from dust you know it sounds like this you know like the mirror is our consciousness and we have to practice to keep it clean right and you know the six ancestors like no it's like there's no there's you know, there's no tree, there's no mirror, there's nothing to keep clean, right, where could dust possibly alight, you know, and he gets, he ends up getting the, he ends up getting transmitted, but then the the abbot says, now run away, because people are going to be after you, they're going to be, and in fact, he is pursued, he is pursued into the hills, because he's not supposed to be the next abbot, he's, you know, he's one of those people, it's like, Intelligence or lack of it does not matter. In this case, it did not matter. He 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 understood without being able to read a word, without having any education at all. So yeah, it's a reference to that. There's no dust that can settle on consciousness. There's nothing. You know, it's always bright. We don't have to polish it, right? We just it, it, it is always there. It's like the sky. Sometimes the analogy is it's like the sky. The sky is always there. It's always blue, <laughs> or it's blue during the day, anyway. Right? But there are things that obscure it, like weather. But that's not the sky. What right? the um, like hindrances be, like the
5: dust or clouds or whatever? An example.
0: You could think of them as clouds, right? But they're not the mirror itself, and they're not the sky itself. They're just passing phenomena, right? and they go away. The other analogy is the ocean, right? At the very bottom of the ocean, it's quiet and still. Up up top, anything could be going on—a hurricane, you know, or whatever. But down deep, where it's dark and undifferentiated, you can keep one foot on the bottom of the ocean. Right, that's kind of the recommendation. Always stay in touch with that deep calm. Okay, what
3: time is it? Still have five
1: minutes. Are we free to share to share just thoughts that come up? Yeah. Before? Yeah. Is that okay? Am I talking too much?
0: No. But if people are not talking, feel free to talk too. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Jack.
1: Um. This just reminds me. I'm a teacher, and talking about sharpness and dullness, and just like, you know, I have students who, um, I cannot measure their sharpness. Because with the Western tools, like I can have a student who gives me all of the right answers and who has a 100 and has perfect pen- penmanship and has no understanding. And then I can have a student that's basically illiterate. And if I were to grade them based on the standard, you know, they would completely fail, but they have complete understanding of like context of what's real. And just like, I think that growing up in the West, just speaking to like what we have to overcome to understand this kind of text is like, it's so in us because of how we're graded, you know, from birth basically Um, to go dullness and sharpness doesn't matter. It's like, that's a big statement in the West.
0: Yeah, uh, and we're we're so, um, we're task-oriented and skills-oriented, right? Demonstrate mastery of this, and then you move on to the next thing, and so we're very conditioned to think that way, and, you know, it's like all this uh, emphasis in education on, you know, not repeating the grade, not being left behind, now it's standardized testing, which wasn't such a thing when I was a kid, but is now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... And just
1: how do you, how do, you know, like, I'm operating in that, yeah. you know, and so... Well, do I give the person who has no understanding but hits the mark that we put out? Do I do I lower their grade or do I raise? You know, it just it just doesn't fit in how we do things. So you're
0: mind. in the world of measuring and comparing. That's your job, right? You're evaluating and.
1: So, well, I mean, I don't really buy into it. No, but
0: I mean that's the expectation anyway, and so there is that kind of you know that kind of. Uh, uh, we have to do that sometimes, right? But that doesn't mean that the value of that person or, right. you know, is, is limited to what they, mm-hmm. yeah, to some particular mastering, some particular skill. Um, yeah. Um, I want to just, uh, I, I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't bring up this one thing that josho says in her essay, um, because I think it, it goes back to something that we were, um talking about a little bit before about this kind of coincidence of self and self right you know there's like removing the gap between uh doing and you and something right That there aren't three things you doing something um and she says let's see um yeah she talks about this this um He's an important figure in the history of Suzuki Roshi's Zen, uh, Tatsugami Roshi. Tatsugami Roshi came from, uh, I think he was the, he's like the Ino or the Godo, like a teacher in any case at Eheiji, which is the monastery that was established by Dogen. And Suzuki Roshi brought him to Tassahara to basically whip the Americans into shape, right? You know, like get them at, like, no more sleeping in, no more smoking dope, you know, all that stuff, right? So so he set up the Rio. he set up the forms of service, you know, and he, he, he started this system where if you didn't show up in the Zendo, somebody would go knock on your door and say, come to the Zendo, right? Are you sick? No, come to the Zendo. So he was also quite a formidable um, scholar in, in his own right and teacher. So he says, she says, she's quoting him, Um, He compared Dogen's notion of the non duality of practice and enlightenment to hitting a drum. The activity of hitting a drum and creating a sound are identical. It's not that hitting is first and the sound is second, right? So we think I hit the drum and there's a sound. I made the sound happen. He's saying that's not a correct understanding, right? One is not the cause and the other is not the result. Hitting the drum and sound occur simultaneously. Likewise, Dogen taught that to just sit is to be Buddha. Right. So taking up that is taking up the posture of Buddha is Buddha. So that I thought was kind of interesting. And 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 uh, one thing that Reverend Tim said about there was a question about when the uh, the stone when the wooden man gets up to sing the stone woman gets up dancing. It's a line in that. Text that he was reading the song of the Jumera Samadi. One another way of understanding that is singing and drumming come up together. They're simultaneous. Like the drum sounds and singing begins, but one is not before the other. Right? They come up right right together. So that's simultaneity, right? immediacy of it's not two things. That's that's those are different ways of kind of apprehending what those words mean. Okay, I think it's time. Thank you all. We forgot to chant before, so I'm, I forgot pass out the cards. We'll just say thanks. Mm-hmm. Right. We'll finish up with the Fukanseni next week. Um, I definitely recommend these lectures by Kirosho if you're if you're interested in reading them all, they're not too long. They were given during a session. We were chanting the thing every day and sitting. <laughs> so um and then uh, I'll, I think I'll try to at least introduce Ben Doha next week. We'll take a little time at the end to talk about that. Okay. We can get some chairs put away. That'd be great.
4: Um, by
3: hand. Yes.